Well, hello there. Welcome to episode two of season eight of Employment on Your Pocket. I want to welcome along Jack Boyle. Hi, Jack. How are you doing today? Good afternoon, Simon. I'm pretty good, thanks. Afternoon. Sun's, yes. Afternoon, is it? Just after lunchtime. Nice. Okay. Jonathan, is your colleague? I do. Your well, friend? Friend. Friend. Not just a colleague, not just a friend, a mentee as well. Okay. And it's a podcasting debut for... A debut? Perth's very own Ethan Lang. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me on. Lovely to see you, Ethan. Nice to see your smiley, happy face. Likewise. Likewise. And do you want to do the counting in, Ethan? Five, six, seven, eight. Welcome to Black Eyes Employment Team Podcast when you have your very own employment law in your pocket. This podcast intended for managers and business owners intended to keep you on the street and narrow with your staff. This is our Law Behind the Headlines season. We take a look at the stories making the headlines and ask, is this case for real? How did the employer get away with that? What is the law behind the headlines? And this is our discrimination-focused season, Jack. It is indeed. So last season was more unfair dismissal. This one is all about the discrimination. Yes. So in this case, I'm talking about the case of Thomason against Scan Crown Limited, trading as Manners. Um, we'll include the sh- um, judgment in the show notes, shall we? Why not? Everyone loves a judgment. Of course they do. Okay, what are the facts of the case then? Ethan, start us off. Well, Simon, uh, Miss Thompson was employed as a sales manager uh, at a small independent estate agent in London. And in May 2018, she announced that she was pregnant and her maternity leave was arranged from October 2018 to October 2019. Okay, that makes sense. Now, early doors in the pregnancy, there were some warning signs when it was alleged that her manager, who happened to be Mr. Seller, Good name that, eh, for somebody that's selling houses. Oh yeah, Mr. Seller, that's good. I bet he's really good at his job. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he said at a party celebrating the pregnancy that he'd been warned about employing a married woman of her age. That is pretty sensational, Jack. Yeah, that is sensational. It's one of those comments. That's quite interesting, an, an actual party to celebrate her pregnancy. That makes me think that's quite a good employer, eh? Totally, totally. However... Relations were damaged um, by a boozy trip to New York, New York, which Mr. Seller paid for personally, during which Miss Thomason, the ex-employee claimant, felt isolated and left out due to her being pregnant and not being able to partake in the activities. So the maternity leave uh, went ahead in October 2018 and Mr. Seller, he decided to hire a replacement to cover Miss Thompson's uh, maternity leave. And this is where it gets... Even better. Uh, her name was Jennifer Purchase. So the, uh, the <laughs> How state, funny. Estate agency joked are writing themselves here. Mr. Seller, <laughs> Ms. Purchase. Imagine that. Imagine the post whose name was Mr. Speedy. I like that. Employment lawyer's name was Mr. Clever. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the plot furthered when she was on maternity leave, Ms. Thompson was keen to explore options around flexible working, as is pretty common, and she met with Mr. Seller in August 2019, and she expressed her desire to work four days a week. She did prior work full-time, and she also was keen to finish at 5pm rather than 6pm to allow her to collect her child from nursery. Seems real, doesn't it? Does seem real. However, um, Mr. Seller didn't actually take too kindly to this suggestion, and instead, what do you think he suggested? No, no no way. But you could use your holidays, Hen, to take up these days. 
Wow, wow, wee wow. Miss Thomason lodged a grievance and the two, Mr Sellers and Miss Thomason, met in November 2019 to discuss matters. At this meeting, the flexible working requests were discussed and Miss Thomason agreed to a pro rata reduction in her salary to reflect the reduced hours. Sadly, however, Mr Seller wrote to Miss Thomson about a week later, um, rejecting her request, citing five reasons uh, to why he didn't want to grant the request. Uh, These were the burden of the additional costs in Miss Thomson having to work less, the detrimental effect this would have on the company's ability to meet customer demand, the inability to reorganise work, the inability to recruit new staff and a planned structural change to the business that was apparently due to commence in the very near future. And these are actually statutory terms for refusal, aren't they, Jack? Yeah, these are. He's, uh, Mr Sellers gone with five mm-hmm. of the eight, mm-hmm. so a slightly scattergun approach. Mm-hmm. But they're all lawful as far as I can tell. Absolutely, yeah. They do match with the eight potentially valid reasons for an employer to reject such a request. But Ms Thompson was not satisfied with this outcome and she decided to appeal the refusal of her request. Uh, This was also rejected and so she resigned from her employment, lodged a claim with the tribunal which included a claim for, among other things, indirect sex discrimination. Okay, so what should I be for this crazy set of circumstances then, do you think? Anyone got a headline to suggest? Ethan, come on, what do you think? Anything? I'm struggling. Jack, what do you think? I was thinking something around the lines of working with a U. Uh-huh. Working mums want nine to five. Oh, that's good. How about my one? How about Mr. Seller? What a feller. Nice. Mm-hmm. Who wins? You always win. <laughs> that's a what rhetorical was, question. What, what was the actual headline then, Ethan? The actual headline was, Mother refused 5pm finish, wins £185,000 payout. Rubbish, mine's better than that. What was discussed during this tribunal judgment then, Ethan? Uh, So firstly, the tribunal, uh, they considered the law on indirect discrimination. So to briefly summarise, A, indirectly discriminates against B if they apply to B a provision, criterion or practice which is discriminatory in relation to a relevant protected characteristic of B's. The provision criterion of practice is discriminatory if A applies or would apply the PCP to someone with whom B does not share the protected characteristic, and then the PCP puts B or would put B at a particular disadvantage when compared with someone who does not share B's protected characteristic. And finally, the A cannot show that the PCP is a proportionate means of achieving a legitimate aim. And for the purposes of an indirect discrimination claim, Miss Thompson's sex is a relevant protected characteristic. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Do you want a glass of water you can tell that? Is, that? Yeah, That's a, a mouthful, isn't it? My throat's a bit dry after <laughs> that one. I think I need a wee lie doing after that. Uh, what, what is that, Jack? What do you, how do you explain that in simple, simple terms then? Um, so that would be an example. A PCP would be an illustration of that. So let's say Blackadders had a policy for all staff all male staff that when you come to the office, Ethan, you have to be clean shaven. Oh, oh I don't like that. Oh. <laughs> so that would be a PCP, something that applies to a group of people rather than targeted against one individual. And let's say, for example, Ethan with his... Designer un- stubble? Designer stubble. Designer, we'll okay. <laughs> was perhaps of a certain religious belief. Mm. Maybe Ethan was a Sikh and his facial hair was for religious mm. reasons. Good one, Jack. Then that could be an example of how the PCP 
being clean shaven affects the masses of all men in black mm-hmm. but could have a disadvantage on a smaller group within the group okay that's helpful jack helpful it's helpful <laughs> um the tribunal then focused in this case on the particular issue which had caused indirect discrimination claim miss thompson's flexible working request and mr seller's subsequent refusal of it and so the pcp that was actually at play here was mr seller's requirement that all of the employees in his estate agency, both male and female, worked full-time Monday to Friday from the hours of 9am to 6pm. Hmm. And the tribunal then went on to consider whether this would put females at a particular disadvantage when compared with male colleagues. And the tribunal was satisfied that it is still the case that mothers are more likely to carry primary caring responsibility than fathers. And therefore the PCP which was imposed by Mr. Sellers, mm-hmm. did indeed place women with children at a substantial disadvantage when compared with men with children. Okay, that's helpful. So again, did it put Miss Thompson at a particular disadvantage? The nursery closed at 6pm and a requirement for her to work until 6pm every day placed her at a disadvantage as she would not be able to get, get there in time. Yeah, and I mean, that seems... I can see her point there because totally. she could hardly leave her, her, her young child on the street outside nursery waiting on her. So Not even in a drawer. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the quality of the nursery, but um, <laughs> let's assume it was a good establishment. But Mr. Sellers' requirement requiring employees to work from 9 until 6pm, was that a proportionate means of achieving a legitimate aim? Which has no defence to a claim of indirect sex discrimination, isn't it? Exactly right, Sai. And the tribunal said no. Okay. They did take the success of the business as a legitimate aim. So the first part of the test is satisfied. Yep. But the refusal of the flexible working request was not a proportionate means of achieving the same. Okay. Legitimate aim is satisfied. Proportionality is not satisfied, according to the tribunal. Is that right, Jack? Yes. So they fell at the second hurdle of that two-stage argument, basically. Because Mr. Seller had already made a replacement in the good Ms. Purchase who could fill in for the days when Ms. Thompson wasn't working. And the team was also small enough, uh, 10 employees, that the work could be picked up in Ms. Thompson's absence. Mr. Seller failed to show that there was sufficient demand for services between the hours of 5 and 6 p.m. that Ms. Thompson would have to work that last hour of the day to maintain the success of the business. And it's hard, isn't it, for employers to try and demonstrate the second part of the proportionality part of the test, isn't it, Jack? So it's yes. easy to demonstrate the legitimate aim, that's easy to demonstrate, but again, the hard part is demonstrating that it's been proportionately exercised. Yeah, it's kind of like a balancing exercise, and basically the, you know, the employer has, has to try and demonstrate that they've thought about absolutely everything that they could do. Yes. Certainly in the case of a dismissal, which I know this isn't, but dismissal has to be the last resort. Totally. To be proportionate. So ultimately, um, the the final decision of the tribunal was that uh, they understood uh, Mr. Seller's caution about reorganising his team uh, in a time of commercial uncertainty. Uh, obviously, this was this was during the pandemic. Um, however, ultimately, the respondent did not show that the refusal of the request was proportionate to the real needs of the business to maintain successful relationships with its customers. Okay, and the company was ordered to pay Miss Thompson a hefty one hundred eighty-five thousand pounds in compensation for financial losses as a result of her leaving her job and also injured feelings. 
She was devastated as a result of losing relationships with clients that she built up over a substantial period of time simply because she was pregnant. So again, that was a massive amount to be awarded in the tribunal forum, wasn't it? That's an eye-watering sum of money, yeah. I dare say Mr. Seller was probably flogging houses for sums of less than that. <laughs> so you maybe have to flog a few houses to pay the compensation. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so let's go for three takeaway tips. Tip number one, Ethan. Tip number one, always be positive and engaging with your staff who are pregnant, even if you secretly think they are causing you a right old headache. So we get often see employers who don't invite females on maternity leave to Christmas parties, um, and that's potentially a, a difficulty for an employer to get over. Yeah, so be inclusive and... Be positive. Include your pregnant workers. Okay, tip two, watch out for any working practices, e.g. hours of work, which might put certain groups of employees at disadvantage. And then I'll go with the third tip. Come on Jack. Exhaust all possibilities when seeking to accommodate a flexible working request. Don't adopt a computer says no approach. <laughs> You're still doing it? I'm still doing that. <laughs> okay, so if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast, Employment Learning Pocket. And if you want to follow Ethan, you can follow Ethan, Ethan's new to our team. And his Twitter handle is Ethan. It is at Employ Ethan. Not Employer Ethan. Nope. Employ Ethan. You want to spell that, Ethan? Come on then. Here's the test. Oh God. Uh, it's E M P S L A W. Yes. E T H A N. Great. That's good. Is that done today? Jobs are good, and thanks for joining us, Ethan. Hopefully, we'll have you back on a future episode. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks. thanks for having me, guys. Cheers and cheerio. Cheers, guys. All the best. Bye.